Good morning and welcome to Looking Up Sheffield. We bring you brutalism with Martin Dust, rubbish with Nicola Allen, building of the month with Heritage Sheffield and a whole lot more besides, and a chance to renew. Every morning brings a chance to renew, chance to renew. Every morning brings a chance to renew. So, I'm here with Nick Allen. She's brought me to her neck of the woods. It's um, it's S13. It's not a not a purse curve that's unlucky for some, though, is it, Nick? Definitely not. No, nope. not for me. I've lived here all my damn life. <laughs> She's taken me to all the highlights. Hansworth Wreck, um, Costa on uh, Hansworth Top, <laughs> um, and then uh, we did a little police chase around the mean streets of... Uh, Birklands. <laughs> <laughs> the mean streets of Birklands. Yeah, this is it's when we're going to call the podcast Looking Up Sheffield. We have to visit every area. And last season, of course, we went to the Manor, we went to Hillsborough, we went all over the shop, really, just to, to give you, the listener, a taste of why we love this city so much. Now, in the. There's no there's nobody here at all man. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, what yep. should we do? Um, so this is season two of Looking Up Pod, uh, Looking Up Sheffield the podcast and uh, I think um, you know, from from season one, you know, we were finding our feet and working out what we were talking about. But I think season two is all about the recovery for Sheffield, you know. And I think that'll, that'll be a theme running through every sporadic, badly recorded episode that we pull together in a park somewhere near you. Um, how do you feel about that as an idea? Recovery, the recovery of yeah, Sheffield. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's spot on because what we're going to see now is is the recovery of of, of as everyone coming out of the pandemic and, and trying to re-establish their normal lives, but also taking the opportunities that have come about because of it. And so the projects that should have been starting or should have been progressing before it are going to now continue, but they're going to have a fresh perspective and fresh opportunities. All the stuff that's happening in the city centre, like with the pedestrianisation of certain um, roads and stuff that weren't there before and, and the, the opportunities that that presents and some of the stuff that it's going to bring forward might not have been happening are now going to happen and they're going to happen in a better more eco-friendly or climate-friendly way um, and, and I think that's what we're going to see and hopefully be able to explore. Yeah I mean hopefully it will be like a, an accelerant rather than a kind of like a, a de-accelerating of all the progress that Sheffield's made but it's not going to be without the odd fork in the road or the, the odd kind of like needle off the record and I think like if, if anything's told us that it's the uh, the closure of John Lewis in Barker's Pool, um, not um, at first, not good news for the city. But I think herein lies an opportunity. Definitely. I mean, it was. A, I think it was a big shock to everybody because it felt like they'd made a commitment and a deal and all that kind of thing, and they, w- they would always be here. And the history with Cold Brothers and everything. Everyone's got memories of Cold Brothers, and you know, it just seems it's an institution. But as we as we know. 
other ideas come forward and other and it just creates another opportunity where there's already so much going on in heart of the city like you've touched on with Leah's yard and everything just close by um it all these developments are happening and it, people feed off that don't they yeah the more absolutely. the more one thing happens good so, i mean look at kellum you know one thing opens up yeah. somebody else wants to move there someone else wants, so there's Something good will happen with it, I'm quite certain. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget, like, Kellam as well, 15 years ago, was not an area that you'd want to invest in or no. imagine that any of the stuff that's happening there now would, would thrive. And uh, and look at it now, and I think, yeah, maybe City it's the time. City Centre's about so much more than retail now, isn't it? It's, it's about the experience and all these little parks that are popping up. They're turning it into an experience, a place where you want to visit and enjoy, and people are probably more interested now in getting a bite to eat and having a drink and socialising there rather than going to pick up some pants from M&S or whatever. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, you know, there are days that I'm glad to see the back of the pants in Marks and Spencers, <laughs> you know, the stealthy kind of like hiding them within like something else, you know, uh, to make sure that no one noticed me. Um, we're going to speak to Martin Dust in this podcast. Now, uh, Martin is a, a brutalist photographer. Um, but what I like about Martin and what I like about his interview is that he doesn't just hark after a nostalgia for, for how things were and the kind of concrete of the 70s. Although he is a big fan of concrete, it has to be said. Um, go into the forest then. But what I really like is that uh, he's also about the future of Sheffield and about the future of, of what you do with a building like John Lewis. And I, I mean, I've heard everything over the last uh, you know month or so since they announced the closure of John Lewis, from pull it down to turn it to student flats to turn it into like a, a museum or, a, or some sort of like cultural space. Um, is it too early for you to be drawn on what you'd like to see where John Lewis once was, Nick? Me? Uh, I mean, I don't know what I'd like to see, really. Just something that complements everything else that's already going on. So once, I suppose once everything else gets more well-established, it'll be easier to to see what, what that could become. Yeah. Um, a a multi-offer. There's that, that many floors, you know, you could have something different on every floor, couldn't you, and, and just make it a really exciting space of creativity and... And, and hospitality and all sorts, really. I, I mean, I like the idea, and, and this, is, this is my own personal sort of take on it, is that you could follow the example of somewhere like um, the, um, the, the centre in Gateshead. Um, I think it's called the Sage in Gateshead, where you've got... Um, you know, you've got a shop, you've got a museum space, you've got exhi exhibition space, you've got makers working there, mm -hmm. you've got kind of a combination of things. And that seems to me to be the kind of opportunity for the um, for the city now to kind of seize the kind of the kind of the, the, the absolute kind of like green shoots of recovery and, mm. and take them into a new place. Something like that would work really well because they, they could all be dependent on each other but work independently as well. Yeah. So it's not like such as John Lewis, you need to be massive to sustain a, a, a store of that size. Whereas you split it up like that, you've only got to sustain your little bit of the world, but then you all you all kind of feed off each other, don't you, and, and support each other. And so, yeah, I definitely think something like that would um, would fit nicely into everything else that's already happening in Sheffield as well. I think so. Now, another thing that's uh, that's uh, grabbed our attention um, in the, um, is the. Um, Kind of, we're kind of moving back into public spaces, and uh, and I mean, the last year we've celebrated the great outdoors no end. But there were some pretty, 
pretty bonkers scenes at Encliffe Park um, when we had the heat wave recently. Um, now, I've, I've got my own sort of like thoughts on this, but but Nick, you got a particularly up close and personal view of this. What, what, what do you think <laughs> yeah, of all well, this? Yeah, well, I came into work and it was like, that, that was my whole day just wiped out dealing with litter enquiries about Encliffe Park. And, um, you know, I think it's easy for people to just look at it and go, that's disgusting and whatever. And it is disgusting and it is everyone's responsibility to move your crap and take it home and whatever, but... I think these things escalate easy, easy as well. When someone, one person does it, another person does it, another person does it, and so it's just, it's just about everybody just taking responsibility for their own, isn't it, and picking it up. And and what we did, we we shared some scenes from that day, and and the fact that you know we had teams out from six a.m. cleaning up, loads of volunteers, loads of local people all doing their bit. So it is, you know, there's a balance to be struck there because you've got those who didn't care and those who cared enough to come and pick everyone else's crap up but the response we got was just fantastic you know everyone just getting on board instead of people slagging off the council and the and the authorities and and whatever yeah everyone were getting behind them and and and, you know saying come on Sheffield what what the hell because these are your parks these are all our parks that you've all been relying on that you've all been loving and and you're doing this but yeah. then, you know, we saw another example of some lads in Burn Grieve um, this week. Uh, after playing football or having picnics and whatever, all um, just, you know, clearing up and then did a litter pick afterwards and they were saying, you know, come on, we can't leave all this. And it's it's too easy for people to go, oh, it's the students, it's the young people, they don't give a shit and all that. But actually, it, it, that's just a stereo, another stereotype, isn't it? And that's what we've got to avoid doing yeah i mean i i think the comms and not just because i'm standing under a tree in handsworth with the person that did a lot of the comms <laughs> for it um but i've liked it I, I've, I've liked the kind of way that the council has, has looked at uh, uh you know it in a in a broader sense so rather than taking a turn of it's disgusting it's terrible i think you've led on you know it's brilliant that so the vast majority of people have been enjoying our parks um, you know, but let's look at the kind of like the, the impact that a few people might have on it. But I think I think you pitched it just right. So well done on that. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> let's see. Well, all right. well, to be fair, you know, the reports back from the following weekend were that we've seen a big improvement. Still, still, still work to do. Still litter to pick up the next day, but a lot less. Um, so, yeah. I mean, on the subject of, uh, of litter pickers, I don't know if you've seen this round uh, round your way, but round like. Hillsborough and Wisewood where I am the number of volunteer litter pickers and some of the you know it's become like a social thing that people have done during this latest lockdown people actually kind of going out on mass and uh, and cleaning up a previously kind of you know dumping ground sort of area I've been absolutely amazed by the way people have like responded to that yeah well actually um, Streets Ahead who do all the kind of litter picking stuff with the council they are absolutely inundated with requests for the, the the grabbers and the bags they can't even keep up with the demand yeah, yeah. so it's it is fantastic and um i mean we're standing in this park now 
I can't see a single bit of litter actually. I know, I know, it's, absolutely. Uh... <laughs> and, and, and no one's looking suspiciously at us at all, recording a podcast <laughs> under a tree, um, with no idea where our respective children have got to. Oh, they're right in front of us. That's good to see. Um, but, but yeah, um, it's it's true. It's uh, and you know there are areas of the city that could do with that kind of cleanup. But you know that kind of seeing that volunteer spirit in action, I think maybe that's something that will come out of this uh, this lockdown or the latest lockdown. People desperate to give something back and boost that kind of overall recovery of the city. Even if it's just like you know arm yourself with like a high vis and a grabber on a Saturday and, and spending a couple of hours doing that. Um, so yeah, long may that continue, eh? Yeah, yeah. Let's hope so. Hey up ladies and gents, this is Rich from Heritage Sheffield and I'd like to introduce a new feature to the podcast called Building of the Month. Now it doesn't take a genius to work out what this feature is going to be about, it's about a building of the month. So, without further ado, I'd like to bring to you the White Building in Fitzallen Square. Now there's two reasons I've chose this building. Uh, The first one is that four of Sheffield's famous architectural names are linked to this building. Um, the first two, Flockton and Gibbs, they were the chief architects. Um, and during this period when it was built in 1908, um, they probably were responsible for shaping the city like no other. Um, so Channing Hall on Surrey Street opposite the Town Hall, uh, the Sir Frederick Mapping Building used by the University of Sheffield, uh, the Palatine Chambers on Pinston Street overlooking the Peace Gardens, Yorkshire House. These were all designed by Flockton and Gibbs, um, as was the, uh, the White Building. Now, the two other names um, that are linked to the White Building, uh, Alfred and William Torrey. Now, these two were uh, not architects as such, they were artists and sculptors. So where, the, where Flockton and Gibbs did the chief architectural work, uh, the Tories were responsible for the fine detail. Now there's 10 relief freezers um, depicting the Sheffield trades on this building. So in true uh, looking up Sheffield style, you do need to get up close and personal to be able to appreciate them. So the 10 Sheffield trades depicted on the building are the silversmith uh, with a blowpipe, a chaser, there's an engineer up there, a file cutter, a steel roller, there's a cutler, there's a grinder, a hand forger, there's a buffer and finally a steel crucible teamer. Uh, the second reason I've chose this building is uh, if you look around Sheffield you'll not notice many white buildings that survive from this time. So the building was made of white faience which is hard, shiny and self-cleaning. So if you think about Sheffield during this period there were a lot of industry, a lot more than what there is now. Uh, it would have been very smoggy Um, so any kind of grime that got on the building would wash away every time it rained Um, so even a hundred years ago the architects at that time were thinking about um, the detail and making sure that the white building stood out compared to everything around it Uh, I hope you've enjoyed that little feature and I hope you tune in next time for the next building
thank you, Mr. Richard Phipps of Heritage Sheffield for building of the month and keeping the building theme going. We now turn to our main interview, Martin Dust, who's just written a book, Brutalist Sheffield, and we'll post the details of how to get hold of a copy of Martin's book on our website, lookingupsheffield.com. So first of all, I asked Martin how brutalism he'd define that and whether it was just about the concrete. Um, well, it's more than concrete. I think what I've tried to do is capture and justify changes that have gone in, gone on in City. Um, I, for a music project, I started documenting the, the sounds of Sheffield and taking photographs so that the other members of the group could understand um, what I was trying to create. And after about two weeks of walking around with a camera, it kind of struck me how much the city had changed since uh, 1965 and not always for the better and I've been I've been meaning to do a site on my photography for quite a while um, and I guess rather bravely I decided to publish it all as a book and publish all the pictures and announce myself to the world that I'm now a professional photographer. It's a it's a noble undertaking, definitely. I, th- I think a lot of people during like lockdown as well have, um, you know, they, they, they've gone out into the great outdoors and started taking pictures. Whether that's kind of urban explorers or you know, light in the darkness, is that is that how it was for you? Did you find yourself just kind of being drawn to some of these places as a result of you know not having much else to do or time on your hands? Well, as, as I mentioned before, it was part of the music project, so to help describe. Um, what are the music that I was creating to other people, it's a lot easier to show somebody a picture. And also, I think a lot of photographers have, have fallen into a trap of um, having to have a brand, having to have a look, having to have a thing. And I always saw myself as just a photographer, but it seems um, I'm now a brutalist photographer. <laughs> And having more time to do things, um, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I've been stopped by police twice, but <laughs> it, it's, it has been quite interesting. Um, so, for somebody that perhaps doesn't know much about about brutalism, tell tell me what your kind of experiences of it and, uh, and, and how you would define brutalism. Uh, well. Brutalism comes from um, beton brut, which means in French, um, raw concrete. And it's a style of architecture that went on from probably the start of the 1950s to 1989, um, that has pretty much been abandoned. And it was mostly used for social housing and churches. And of course, modernism came in halfway through that. And I think what's interesting about brutalism is you can do things with concrete that you can't do with bricks uh, and mortar. And also I think there's something very final and punk rock uh, uh, about uh, brutal architecture. It's very much, I'm this and you better have it kind of attitude. I think it's quite brave. 
if you look at kind of photos of like the late seventies, you know, whether it's like Joy Division over a a, um, a bridge in Hyde, um, or pictures of like you know Park Hill in that kind of particular era, I think yeah, I'd echo that sentiment really about about brutalism. Maybe like the punk and the kind of the buildings kind of areas yeah. both merged at that time. I think they were very much part of of the working culture, of the working class as well, simply because they were social housing. They could be put up really quickly. People liked them, they formed communities. Uh, and they really worked for a long time until um, councils and um, a number of other factors um, started to fail it. Um, because obviously if you put 3,000 people together, take away the work, um, it starts to fall into decline and fail. But anybody who's been up to Park Hill recently um, will know it's it's being done, redone with, with with real care, and it's a fantastic building again. It, it's absolutely absolutely true that, and uh, it's one of the places that I tend to go um, during like lockdown, um, whether it's to look at like Otis Mensah's kind of poetry in the area of the kind of you know, behind like the, the, what people perhaps identify as Park Hill, um, you know, or ju- just to kind of, you know, sense that kind of like that energy returning to a building that had been pretty much, you know, left on the scrap heap. And funnily enough, I think the turning point for me was uh, I went to a exhibition called, uh, I think it was called the Brutalist Pre- Playground. Um, uh, that was uh, that was held at Park Hill. And it, you just started to... To think that you know maybe the pendulum started to swing again, and that uh, the brutalism's kind of on the way back, and now you sort of see uh, things like the uh, the Park Hill musical, um, uh, which uh, um, you know I think is you know when we eventually come out of this uh, this lockdown is due a, a another run, isn't it? It's having another spin, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're trying really hard up there, and if you. If you've walked corridors, I, I were, um, last week I was on the uh, Norwich Street up there and took in pictures. And the little things, the little details that they've done and attention to detail uh, uh, is brilliant. I think they're doing it. I think Urban Splash are doing a brilliant job of it. And, and the views are to die for. And I don't think, um, because a lot of people in the city have still got the old view of it. You know, that people throw tellies off at balconies and um, it's full of drug dealers and things like that, which it, which is not. Um, then people are going to struggle. And the irony is, is kind of like not lost on me that I can now sell a photograph for 150 quid at Park Hill. You know, people that, act, that used to hate it, it's, it's now an art, an art form. Now tell me a bit more about the, the the book. I think it's out on the twenty third of March. So just um, uh, we're recording it just this podcast just before the twenty third, but uh, we've got uh, uh, it, it'll be coming out soon afterwards. Um, what other what other brutalist uh, buildings are we uh, looking at in the, in this book without giving too much away? Well, we're obviously having a good look at uh, Park Hill, which is an important part, but also things like. Um, Sheffield substation. Ah, uh, Moore Street, yeah. Yeah, which is a fantastic building. And when that's lit up, I think it, it, it's great. It's got some fantastic lines on it. It's, it, it what I've tried to do um, with my photography on, on all, all the buildings 
is show the dynamics of, of the architecture instead of just taking what I would deem um, estate agent photographs, if you know what I mean. I try to put a bit more art in, in, into the eye that the um, architect would do. But it's not it's not just on brutal things. It's, I've tried to also look at how much Sheffield has changed as a city and is changing now. And the fact that some of the old little misters and some of the um, industrial buildings that we have are now being knocked down and, and made way for student flats. And I'm not so sure that's a good thing, really. And I've reflected on that in book, and I've taken photographs of probably you know old famous old famous sites and bridges and things in Sheffield. So you've got the church on Eckersall Road. Um, and things like that, but it's also reflecting on, on change from, you know, you look at like the Wicker and how much that's changed. Uh, at one point it had 30 pubs and now it's got two. Um, and the creep of the um, chicken shops and the telephone shops and vape shops has got further and further into town. Um, and how in some ways, it feels like the city centre's dying. So I do reflect on that as well as taking pictures of our best building. Uh, yeah, it, it's clear though from like the book and from talking to you that you know you've got a, you know a, a deep-seated love of Sheffield. Do you think? Do you think it does? You know, whether it's brutalism or whether it's, it's buildings or, or people, that it does things that nowhere else can. Um, I mean, you know, you could associate other cities with brutalism, but do you think yeah. Sheffield does it best? I think, I think one advantage of, of doing the book and going looking for old places and going down to, like, Forge Masters and when, when you, you're on your way down out of Cliff or down or, or down to Meadowall, Sheffield were kind of really good at having quirky little shops and places and pubs in really weird places, which suggested that the behind all the little the, the brick walls and the, the doors were was a hidden workforce. And I think it were really good at doing that. But if you go down to um, Forge Masters now, you could pick, apart from Forge Masters itself, you could pick that industrial estate up and put it in any country in world and you'd never be able to identify where it had come from because it all looks the same and I think it's a shame that we're losing some of that um, for the sake of progress and not reserving it and looking into um, what future generations are going to need RE spaces because not everybody can afford 500 quid a month um, for an office space to try and get something running or to practice where at next Arctic Monkey's going to come from, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I think it's got a great quirkiness, and the 1950s architecture obviously had a big influence on me um, growing up, because it were always there, it were all bearing the all in the road, Park Hill, Hyde Park, Kelvin, you know, Parsons Cross, big estates, big communities that all lived and worked together. I, I grew up in a mining village, where you um, 
everybody worked together and people went off to Skegness together for a week. Um, but I don't think that's coming back, but I think we should retain some of the spirit and some of the opportunities that the Little Mesters, Cheap Spaces and Social Housing afforded people to be able to do something creative um, and do their own thing and find themselves. I think, I think that's an important thing. There go the thoughts of a brutalist photographer, the man behind the lens, that's Martin Dust. Uh, thanks ever so much to Martin, I think he's had some really good and honest thoughts about Sheffield and where we go from here. So let's all recover together, let's continue to look up Sheffield. Sheffield.